0: Tonight's episode of the GM Show, presented by S and T Bank, was recorded prior to Tuesday night's game against the San Jose Sharks. Thanks for tuning in. We welcome you into a brand new GM Show, presented by S and T Bank. Joined this evening by Penguins President of Hockey Operations Brian Burke. I'm Josh Getzoff. Burkey, as always, appreciate you taking some time with us. Thanks for having me on, Josh. We speak now before the matchup Tuesday night against the San Jose Sharks, but the beginning of this road trip, I'm curious for your thoughts on it because a couple games that, when you really look at it, might honestly be a microcosm of the Penguin season from the consistency front at least results wise this year the the big win friday night in anaheim a pretty dominant victory if i say that myself and then the setback against los angeles 6 nothing. how did you guys kind of view those two games
1: well i thought we played really well against anaheim and i think you're right i think there's a tendency when you lose a game badly 6 nothing, there's a tendency to say all systems fell apart it was a disaster it's a complete failure When, in fact, those games sometimes slip away from you. You play better at times than you thought, and sometimes the game just slips away from you. You get down, you get discouraged, uh, and then it starts to landslide around you, and then it gets worse and worse. So I think this game was somewhere in between. So, yeah, I think it's a microcosm of our season. Our biggest issue all year has been consistency. We have not been consistent all year. We've won five, lost five, won 12, lost six, That's no way for a hockey team to have success long-term. We've got to stop that. We've got to solve that soon.
0: This is a pretty open-ended question, but how do you kind of stop that? Because now you're closing in on game – you're closer to game 60 than you are to game 40 at this point.
1: Well, we're much closer to game (laughs) 60 than we are to game 40. Um, Well, I think number one is the goaltending. We've got to get that back to a stable rotation. Uh, with the injury to Tristan Jari, uh, Casey's been asked to do too much. It's not his fault. He's a good goaltender. He's a great kid, but he's not. He wasn't brought in to play four out of five games. He was brought in to play one out of four games, mm-hmm. and so we got to get the rotation back. Jars is close to healthy, possible uh, uh, in the next day or two, even. So I think that's number one. Get the goalie rotation settled. We got. We played for three weeks without our top two right shot D. Right. And then Jan Rudy got hurt, too, so he's close to back, looks like. Um, so we're, I think we've got key people back. If you look at the people we had out, the injuries, the games we missed due to injury, it's easy to count man games, and so we lost 40 man games in the month of, of November. Mm-hmm. But the key is, who missed those games? I mean, it's not and not denigrating any one player, but... Losing a Chris Letang is different from losing a Brian Burke, right? Yeah. No, no offense to me, but <laughs> uh, an important player that plays a lot of minutes, that's a much bigger loss than a guy that plays seven to eight minutes. So I think we had key personnel losses at key times, at key positions, and I think our team has hung in there very well in spite of that.
0: Well, you mentioned personnel, and uh, that game Saturday night wasn't just a hockey game. It was also a big night for Dustin Brown, a legendary Kings player, the first king ever to hoist the Stanley Cup when they won it back in 2012. And I obviously know that you and him have a little bit of a connection going back a couple years prior to that, maybe even before that, at least at ice level for me, seeing Team USA in Vancouver in the Olympics in 2010. I know you had a role in that, obviously, and Dustin Brown was on that team. Um, Any memories that came back to you as far as your relationship with Dustin Brown, seeing all that transpire on Saturday night?
1: Yeah, it it was special watching Dustin Brown's number be retired because I think what happens is sometimes it's just longevity guy was there for 13, 15 years, whatever. He was captain for eight. Right. And sometimes just by dint of longevity, the player acquires a mystical reputation. But I think in this case, Dustin Brown earned that. He played hard every night. Uh, he never missed a playoff game in all those years with two cup runs. Wow. Um, I think they set a record for the most games played in one series that they won. They, it, the most you can the, you can win in 16. Right. And the most you can play, I think, is what? Uh, is that uh, – 28 I think seven they played 27 four. one year wow. so he played a lot of games he played hurt you can't you can't not dress if you dress if you play that many games you can't not dress some nights when you feel terrible and you're all banged up you're sick you're run down you're sore so he was a warrior um, I had him as a player and uh, I loved his he's a very positive guy very upbeat um, not a huge talker but very popular teammate does card tricks and stuff like that. Um, but a really good captain and a warrior, and he was an important part of our silver medal team.
0: That trip, This trip, I should say, actually started in Anaheim before that game, the night before when you faced the Ducks. You obviously have some great memories there winning the Cup in 07. Phil Bork and I were kind of talking about those Kings teams in 12 and 14 and just how well constructed they were and how many guys you just probably, from an opposing perspective, did not look forward to playing on a nightly basis, especially in the stage of the Stanley Cup playoffs. How have you kind of seen things evolve as far as the road to the cup from your Ducks team in 07 to those Kings teams and now seeing teams you know, like Tampa going back-to-back, back, the Penguins not so long ago, uh, even you know, the teams like St. Louis and Washington that have sprinkled in there. It seems to be a different road every year, but have things really changed all that much on the surface to getting to the highest point?
1: Well, with L.A., it was a direct, you know, it's a copycat league, and what happened in L.A. was we had put together a very physical team And we terrorized the the West Coast. And the Anaheim team would go into L.A. and beat them up, beat them on the scoreboard and beat them up, do the same thing in San Jose. We beat up everybody. And uh, the fact of the matter is Dean Lombardi took a look around and said, we've got to stop this. We've got to construct a roster that can play with those guys, which they did. And we were kind of tongue-in-cheek on our Stanley Cup ring It says California's first cup. Kind of poking fun at L.A., but they won two. We only won one. (laughs) So, uh, they did a real good job, I think, of responding to the threat that we posed to their team and the San Jose at the same time. Uh, all three teams getting bigger and better. And players used to call California Death Valley in those, those real good days right. when all three teams were good. Teams <clears throat> used to go in there and say, We'll win two out of three and maybe five out of six points. And now they'd go in and say, We'll be lucky if we win one game and they' even get a tie.
0: Penguins kick off. No, 100
1: tie. I mean an overtime. I know what
0: you mean. Yeah, right. Those, are, uh, those were trips I'm sure people look forward to the weather, but not so much the games on the ice when the three teams were on the schedule. Well, the Penguins will kick off the final 30 games of the regular season against the Sharks on Tuesday night and much more next on the GM Show. It's all presented by s and D Bank. We welcome you back to the GM Show. It's presented by S&T Bank. And, Berkey, we mentioned this road trip kicked off Friday in Anaheim, and uh Penguins started it in style with a 6-3 win over the Ducks. But beyond that, they also saw some history. Genny Malkin picked up a couple of points and then reached 1,200 in the career, the 51st player in NHL history. So not many have reached that plateau of 1,200 points. Uh, what's the significance of that to you now being around him often but obviously also seeing his entire career transpire throughout your time in the NHL?
1: Well, I think you have to close your eyes and think hard about being the 51st player to ever do it. You think of all the great players that have played in our league and the members of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and you say to yourself, that is rare. If only 50 players have done it. and There's now what, 32 teams now. Yeah. So, you know, less than two players per team over the last 100 years we've had a league. So it's an exceptional achievement, and it requires two things. To put up that kind of production means you've got to be a really good player and be able to score points and score goals and put up assists, but also means you got to be durable. You got to have, you got to have a durable, lengthy career to put up those kind of points. And this is another guy who played hurt a lot. He's got uh, a high pain threshold, plays hurt a lot, and has for us, and put up great numbers during that time. So it's quite a, quite an accomplishment.
0: Is he having a bit of an under the radar season? Yes, he
1: is, but I think the thing is, you saw him lose his temper the other night, which I like. I like when he loses his temper, because he gets involved. He fired the puck at an opponent a couple times. Um, I like when Gino gets mad. He got mad the other night, so he 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 doesn't. Our team, everyone talks about Sid, and Sid's having a great year, and he's a wonderful player. But Gino gets overlooked a fair amount, and he is having an under the radar season. That game
0: in Anaheim, also the first trip back for Ricard Raquel since you guys traded for him last year. I mean, he's really settled into this team, Burke. He's having a, another strong year offensively, leads the team in shots on goal. I know you knew what you were getting when you acquired him, but has he lived up to what you hoped you were getting uh, when you picked him up?
1: Yes, I think we got a good size sample from him after the trade deadline when we brought him in. He missed a few games when he got hurt in the playoffs, but uh, I think we had a size sample of a guy who's a big athlete high athletic ability, high hockey IQ. One thing I think that's underrated is if you watch whether he plays with Gino or plays with Sid, one thing you watch that never gets, or almost never gets mentioned is he gets back a lot for his line mates. So like he's playing right now with Sid and and Jake, Mm -hmm. Uh, those guys can gamble a little bit more because Rack has a real defensive conscience. He gets back a lot and, and breaks up line rushes and outnumbered attacks. So I think he's defensively doing a little more than people have acknowledged.
0: Been a part of a really productive, basically from start to where we're at right now, top six for the Penguins, and we know that group pretty well. Uh, The Anaheim game was a a nice uh, second coming for some of the depth players on the Penguins lineup. Jeff Carter with a multi-point game, Uh, Kasperi Kapanen a couple of points. Uh, You got some points from the fourth line with Teddy Bluger and Josh Archibald getting assists. P.O. Joseph had a big night as well. Um, I know that that's not what you're going to get every night as far as all of them contributing, but how refreshing was that to see that in a one-off? And then I guess my second part of that question is, because it was a bit of a one-off, how much of a concern level do you have right now for the fact that that hasn't been something that's been pretty consistent for the Pens?
1: Well, first off, let's give credit where credit is due when when slugs, and we use that name very affectionately, when slugs, guys in your lineup that perform blue-collar tasks, when they step up and produce for you, and Jeff Carter's not a slug, but you know some of the other guys are. Right. And I mean that with great affection. I <laughs> use that term when I did TV. I call them slugs. Those are my guys yeah, when right. I talk about slugs. Um, when the when the lesser players have big nights, you see the joy on the the skill guys' faces. They're happy for them. Right. They're happy when they see a Cappy who's been struggling offensively. He gets puts in a goal, scores and puts in an assist on the board. He's beaming, and the players are all happy for him. Um, I think the issue is what you got at Josh is we haven't done that enough it's too many nights where we've got quiet guys and again going into consistency issue getting six goals one night and none the other means you average three over the two games it doesn't mean you're averaging four a night or five a night you average three over the two games so I think we need more consistency more consistent offensive production from our bottom six and it uh, can't be a uh, have uh, happening that leads to someone bringing a cake in the dress room and say, hey, you guys had a big night. You know, we can't, it's got to be more routine. It's got to happen with greater frequency.
0: When you look beyond your offensive group in the back end, you kind of hit on this earlier, but you, missed a, or you had a big chunk of the season where you were missing both Jeff Petrie and Chris Letang in a critical stretch right around the turn of the new year. Then you get both those guys back, and you lose Jan Ruda. Uh, it seems like right now you guys can't catch a break back there, but how do you feel like you guys have held up uh, on the hole on the back end You know, with the moving pieces and guys maybe playing a little above their head at times as well?
1: Well, this is my third year here, Josh, and one thing that struck me right when I got here and continues to strike me is that Mike Sullivan does not allow injuries to serve as an excuse for anybody. Mm-hmm. He's never any lamenting in the press conference. I know, We had this guy out, that guy out. He talks about the guys that dressed that night and what they did, and I think our team has had for us to be where we are in the playoff race with this run of injuries to key players. I think is remarkable, and so I, I give the coach credit for that. Our mentality is next man up, mm-hmm. and that's a cliche in sports. Everyone says, "Oh, next man up, next man up." That is truly our motto. That's truly our mantra. So I think that goes to the coaching staff and particularly to Sully is that our team does not use injuries as an excuse for non-performance.
0: Hopefully, Jan Ruta, close. Uh, you mentioned that there's potential in the next game or so that he could be back in the lineup. Ditto for Tristan Jari. I would assume they've both been with the team this whole trip uh, and skating and practices, and Tristan Jari's been taking a lot of shots. So I would assume those guys are sooner rather than later as far as putting back on a penguin sweater.
1: Absolutely, and I think that they're uh, – if you look at it, i think someone in the media rattled off a stat yesterday. tristan jar this year 16 5 and 1 or 3 or something yeah. pretty amazing stats and uh he's having a a great year but it keeps getting interrupted we've got to get him healthy and get him back stable
0: we will talk a little bit about him in the next segment and his stability as the penguins move forward here in california and we move forward on the gm show it's presented by s bank here on the penguins radio network We are back here on the GM show. It's presented by S&T Bank on the Penguins Radio Network. And uh, Berkey, we just talked about Tristan Jari and crossing our fingers. Hopefully, uh, he will be back in the goal for the Penguins in the not-too-distant future. Um, Between his last couple of seasons, there's been moments where you mentioned it, that the record's been really good. I think you could argue he's been the Penguins MVP at times with how he's played. But then there's also been these stretches of 10 15 games where he's been out of the lineup we know what happened last year in the playoffs and even the year prior to that uh the stanley cup playoffs is there a level of concern at all about just the durability factor for him because i don't think anyone doubts the skill level when he's in between the pipes
1: well i think it's fair whenever a player misses more than one or two stretches in in 24 months i think it's fair to, to raise that issue um, I don't think it's an issue of preparation or training. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The Islanders uh, or the Rangers injury was a contact injury. It's not much you can do about that when someone gets run over. Right. But um, when it's a muscle injury or a strain or a fatigue type thing, then you say, are we preparing properly? Are we doing things right? And I haven't reached that threshold yet of being worried about it. I think he's still a durable guy. Uh, I think there was some linkage. This injury was linked somewhat to a prior one that we maybe didn't get right the first time. So I think that uh, it's not a long term issue yet, but certainly people are going to start raising that issue if he keeps missing games. I think he's been terrific, and uh, no, we don't we don't view him as a durable a durability issue risk right now.
0: He has been on the IR for the Penguins since January 22nd. So in the meantime, and you mentioned this earlier, it's really been Casey Desmith who shouldered most of the low. Dustin Tokarski's come in in spurts, but uh, how do you feel they have handled this situation? I mean, performance aside, just kind of managing what was probably an unexpected workload overall
1: yeah I, I think casey's casey's first off he's a he's a great kid he's a very popular teammate this is a guy the players really like and play for but he wasn't signed to play three games out of four he wasn't signed designed to handle that workload and it's been difficult for him so not for lack of effort not for lack of ability just not design it was never our intention that he play this number of games so i think he's done a good job struggle a bit at times but that's to be expected again we got to get back to our normal pattern here where Tristan's a starter and Casey plays capable backup games
0: let me ask you this you've been around this league for a long time and, and kind of being able to appreciate the the stretch run so to speak in the unofficial second half of the season I find it really fun that every night we're looking at the standings and seeing teams moving all around and how close things are basically from that third spot in the Metro and third spot in the Atlantic all the way down to the second or third team out of the wild card picture. I mean, as we talked today, uh, before the Penguins game against the Sharks, the Florida Panthers have all of a sudden climbed their way to one point back of you guys, the Islanders are a point back. Do you remember a time when it was this muddled and this uncertain as you're going down to the final 30 games?
1: I don't know. I don't. I don't think there was um, this. First off, it's all directly related to the hard cap. Right. And the parity that exists. That was designed. That's what hard caps are supposed to do. That's what's happened in football. And a hard salary cap. More different teams are involved in playoffs than ever before. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to maintain a dynasty. So the hard cap works, no question. Makes it harder and harder. Um I was talking to Mark Bergevan when we watched practice yesterday. Working on a
0: dinner with him in Los Angeles. We had a great
1: time with he, him. Oh, he's he's <laughs> wonderful. I'll tell you a story about him sometime. But when he played for me and we were in he was playing for me in Vancouver and we were in Edmonton in the playoffs and there's a TV, uh, a TV cabinet, uh, and they'd taken the TV out. So there's this wooden cabinet in the training room up on the ceiling. And Burgi got up and started doing an interview with himself. So he'd stand on one side of the box and say, so tell me about Brian Burke. And he'd go over to the other side, and he'd say, oh, he's a real jerk. The players hate him. And <laughs> tell me about Brent Sopel's hair. He says, oh, his hair is terrible. It's so worse than the league. Going from one side to the other. Well, start out there are five guys in there watching, crying, laughing. yeah. Ended up the entire team was packed into the trading room watching Mark Bergevin do this interview with himself. It was hysterical. Um, But he was saying that there was always easy games. There were always games you could look at the schedule when it came out and you'd say, well, we can probably win these three, four, or five teams. There aren't that many. There's hardly any now. So there's no nights off. It's hard. The schedule's hard. Schedule's compressed. Teams are getting better. So, yeah, I've never seen it this compressed or difficult right now.
0: Yeah, it's been really – From the entertainment perspective, great. From maybe the stress level perspective, not so great uh, on a nightly basis around the teams in the mix in the NHL. Uh, Back to your team on the whole. Um, When I always get my broadcast boards ready for a game, you're putting obviously – the normal statistics down, you get your notes and you get your stuff from your conversations with the players and management as well. But, um, one thing that's jumped out to me here recently has been penalty minutes. And you and I were talking off the air that when you look at the penguins leaders right now, it's Sidney Crosby, but he picked up 22 of those minutes in Los Angeles on Saturday night at 46, but the, the next man behind him is Jake Gensel. And I'm curious for a team that a lot of people say, you know, doesn't have the quote unquote bite to them. When you see those guys, uh, as the top penalty minute leaders. What does that say to you?
1: Well, the, if you look at the teams that have won the Cup recently, the last small team, if you will, to win the Cup, small being you know, maybe a six-pound difference yeah. per guy, right, right. were the two Pittsburgh teams. Mm-hmm. Since then, it's from Washington and St. Louis, teams with bigger lineups, and that certainly seems to be the way it's going. And we're, we're very acutely cognizant of that. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, We've tried, we put some size back in when we signed Jan Ruder, who's got size. He got bigger with Rack, putting Ricard Raquel back in. He's got size, but not necessarily bite, to use right. your term. So we're cognizant of that. The problem is we've been capped out since we got here because we've tried to keep the band together, and we were very comfortable with that decision. We'd like to add some skill that can play, and then, so I'd say, okay, Josh, who? Who should we get? And I, I say this honestly because yeah. this is what Hexy says to me when I say something about it. He says, all right, who? Am I allowed to throw in? I probably can't on the radio, right? No. That's a so speculative. <laughs> so we, we've, turned, we've turned over every stone. We, we understand. Archie brings us some bite. Yeah, he does. He's a nice bite player for us. Uh, and we're not an afraid team. That's the good thing about our team. We're not afraid. We don't ever play scared even when the hitting starts. That's right. not what we do. We're, we're a possession team and a scoring team, but we're not afraid of anybody. Uh, I just think it would be nice if we could initiate a little more And we'll get to that down the road. Right now, we haven't been able to do it. Big stretch run for the
0: Pens. As we mentioned, the game against the Sharks kicks off the final 30 of the regular season for Pittsburgh. And that playoff picture continuing to change by the day as this road trip rolls on. And so do we. We'll wind things down next on the GM Show next. It's presented by S&T Bank. We're back here on the GM Show. It's presented by s and Bank, coming to you from San Jose, ahead of the Penguins' Tuesday night game against the San Jose Sharks. And it has already been a little bit busy heading into the trade deadline, which is just a few weeks away, Berkey. Uh, some teams in your division specifically pretty active. Uh, you talk about the New York Islanders and New York Rangers both uh, going out and getting some pretty big names. First, uh, the Islanders just before the All-Star game trading for Bo Horvat. Then the Rangers following things up on the other side of the All-Star break and acquiring Vladimir Tarasenko uh, and Nico Mikola, who I like a lot. Personally, defenseman uh, from St. Louis, from your guys' position, when you see those two teams—literally the two teams on either side of you in the Metro right now—how do you react?
1: Well, I think they both improve themselves. I think they're both added high-quality players. They give them a better chance to win. A couple of caveats: a high price tag on on players like that, um, high risk. There's only one parade, and I can tell you from. Uh, I'll check with the league again if you want today, but they're only awarding one Stanley Cup. Right. So the, the, the risk, the trading deadline, and you've heard me rant about this over the years, the trading deadline is up to 16, 18 teams are going to make moves to try and improve their lot in life, and there's going to be one parade. And I will check again later, but there's going to be one parade. So that that's the risk and the, the evaluation you do. I think they both, both teams got better. Now, will these trades work out? Will they pair fruit? Will there be chemistry among them? Is it worth the price tag? All those things come in. We're, you know, Hexie's working the phones diligently. We were in on all of these deals, both of these deals. We were aware of them and weren't willing to meet that price tag. But we're in on, the the key here as a GM is you want to be in on everything. You want to know everything that's happening. Yeah. And we make sure that we're in on everything. We're aware of it. We know what teams are talking. You know what the price tags are. Then if you say no, you say no and fine, let them move on. But uh, the fact of the matter is, if we can get better at a sensible price, we're going to. We're absolutely going to try. When you look at
0: those moves, do you feel like, I mean, Tarasenko and Horvat are huge names, and they've already moved. Is it fair to say that those could potentially be two of the bigger moves of the deadline? I mean, the, the cap being what it is and just some of the names out there?
1: Well, it reminds me of the ice coming out of a lake, and people from Minnesota will know what I'm talking about. When the ice breaks up in a lake... It doesn't move very much till the first big piece moves, and then it all starts moving much quicker. So that those first moves, those early moves with Horvat and Tarasenko, will probably accelerate the process of teams, you know, because Chicken sat out a night the other night. Yeah. So everyone thought, oh, that's imminent. Um, so we're, we're going to do things at our own pace, at our own price tag, and if they make sense, they make sense. If they don't, we're not going to do it.
0: When you guys kind of evaluate that, what you just said, making it at your own pace, is there – just a, a maybe a spot in your mind where you're kind of thinking as far as a deadline to make that decision. I, I know this team is built to go towards the Stanley Cup playoffs and ultimately try to get to the Stanley Cup final and win another cup. But when you look at your guy's situation and kind of gaze ahead at the thirty games in front of you, is there an area where you're kind of pinpointing that like this would be a good time to make a move, or does it kind of is all just fluid for you right now?
1: No, I I think it's a fair question. I, I think timing is important, but I think timing. The pressure points change on deals. Like, So if you said to yourself a week ago, this is what it would cost to get Horvat, it turns out it was more, and he signed for eight years, $8.5 million. Well, if that's the price tag, a bunch of teams that were interested are no longer interested if that's the price tag. right? So then they go to the rest of the turn take that team, turn the page, and look at the other teams and say, okay, we'll move on from there. So to me, we don't try to do it that way. We try and set the price tag in advance, and then if we can get there, we get there, if and when we can, as soon as possible. Like, we would never wait on a trade and say, maybe the market will get better. We set the prices internally. We say we'll do this or do that. You know, we've been active at the deadline before with Hexie. Made a couple moves last year at the deadline. And uh, we'll, we'll move today if something makes sense. We'll move when it, when it makes sense. But if it doesn't make sense, we're not going to move. I like the look of our team when we're all healthy and Tristan's back.
0: Yeah, and that's what we hope for. We hope that everybody's healthy, and we look forward to seeing how these final 30 games transpire. Berkey, the next time you and I speak, if something does go down, we'll have a lot of time to talk about it because it'll be a couple days removed from the trade deadline. So uh, thank you again, as always, for your time. Best of luck in this big stretch coming up here, and uh, look forward to seeing how things shake out for the Penguins. Thanks, Josh. All right, that is Penguins president of hockey operations, Brian Burke. For our executive producer, Wayne Gretzky-Anderson, I'm Josh Getzoff. Reminder, the Penguins return to action Friday night on Long Island, a showdown with the Islanders. That puck drops 7 o'clock at UBS Arena, 6 o'clock on the pregame show, all right here on the Penguins radio network. Thanks for tuning in to the GM Show. It's presented by S&T Bank. Good night, everybody.